So I'll record these sessions. I don't usually record the 10 o'clock, and that way you can listen to them later if you like, or if for some reason, because it's the summertime, sometimes we travel, uh, and you may not be here for some uh, reason, um, then you can listen to it. And they will be on the, uh, if you follow Sparrow Baptist Church on any of the podcast players, um, then they should, then you can find our church and you can listen to the, the audio of the 10 o'clock as well as the 11 o'clock. We put the 11 o'clock on there every single week and you just put in Sparrow Baptist Church. Um, okay. So, uh, we will begin with the notebook that you have in front of you. There should be a notebook for everybody. Um, and, uh, for those who are still coming in, uh, we can, uh, we can get them a notebook. We're going to make this a practical thing. Okay. We're not just, uh, coming for the educational aspect of effective Christian living. We are going to go through and talk just for a moment as we go through, uh, this first lesson. We're going to talk about basically having a daily walk with the Lord. Now, this is going to be something that we, build on throughout the summer, okay, um, and as we finish this booklet, each uh, session, we're just going to take just a moment, and I will teach you another aspect of Bible study. Uh, it's a lot for you to take it all on board at once, so today we're just going to talk about some of the very basics of reading the Bible, um, and so that's what the notebook is for, and we'll explain that in just a moment. Um, and then the second thing is, is that there's no pressure for you to participate in this, but uh, on Sunday mornings for the 10 o'clock, there's an opportunity for you to share something that God has spoken to you um, about in his word throughout the week. Uh, this isn't an opportunity for you to give a 30-minute lesson on right your favorite Bible verse or anything like that. This is just a quick little God spoke to me, he used this verse, and maybe even share kind of how he used that to encourage you in your faith. Uh, and then you can also talk about uh, how God may have answered a prayer uh, for you in the week. It's not, we need to be very careful and very cautious in Christianity that it doesn't become ritual. It's very easy for us to go and read the Bible every day and it just become kind of ritualistic. I have to read a chapter. And because of the way God created us, um, if we don't do that habit, then sometimes we feel like something is undone. But we can just zip through it and we're not really, we're not really absorbing anything, right? If we were to do that with physical food, I have to eat this and it zips through me. You guys know what I mean. It goes right through me. None of the nutrients that have, have, have been absorbed in my body whatsoever. We think, man, that's not good. Either that food is bad, which we know God's word isn't bad, right? Or something's wrong with me physically. If you're sick, you can't keep food down. It'll end up coming out really quick, right? So we need to make sure we don't do that when it comes to our walk with the Lord. Um, there's no pressure for this whatsoever. Uh, I'm not going to take role and say, okay, did you read your Bible all seven days this week? No? Okay, bad Christian, right? And put your name up on the board so everybody can see, and there's this big public shaming. We're not doing that. Not at all. This is for you. We also need to recognize that for some, what we're going to explain today is very, maybe for you, it's elementary. Like you you say, well, I've been reading the Bible and writing down things God has spoken to me about for years. Good. Praise the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to uh, share what God has uh, taught us 
Um, and, uh, and, and then for others, maybe this is the very first time we've ever tried to do something like this. Okay. Progress and growth is the goal. Perfection is not the goal. Write that in your little notebook. We have a couple of pencils and pens if anybody needs one. We found these in the car. So if there's gooey things on them, um, you want to hand those? Thank you, brother. If there's gooey things on them from my kids, then apologies. For those of us who have been reading the Bible for years, we always know that, uh, one second, we always know that uh, you can never, you can never learn anything. I mean, meaning you can never, I mean, I, I didn't say that right. You can never get to the point where you know everything, right? For one, it's a huge book, just physically. So for you to say, oh, I remember all of it. Nobody's that smart. So there's always something. The statement I'd like for you to put down is the goal is growth, not perfection. The goal is growth, not perfection. If you've never read the Bible or if you don't habitually read the Bible, say, I'm going to try to read it. I'm going to try to read it every day. Maybe for you, just establishing reading the Bible every day or four days a week or a couple of days a week, maybe that for you, that's where you are spiritually, fantastic to start to read the Bible every day. Okay? You say, well, I already do that. I read a chapter. Good. Do you, when you read it, do you zip through it? Or are you asking the Lord to give you something and then you can kind of take that and chew on that throughout the week, right, throughout the day? So we'll just kind of go through these basic things. Number one, and write these, write these notes down so that this is kind of the template that you're going to follow. This is very basic, okay? You say, well, pastor, there's other things you could have mentioned, of course. Well, there's other, there's this aspect and that's that aspect, of course. We're just going to kind of keep it basic right here. Number one, where are you reading? If you don't know where you're going to read, or if you don't have a plan, sometimes you can be like, oh, I don't know where to read. Some people just flip the Bible open, right? And you end up in a minor prophet and you think, I have no idea. Or some people like, oh, I want to read the Bible. I want to start in Revelation. Good. Maybe for a new believer, that's a little bit overwhelming. It's not wrong. Okay? It's not wrong. The Bible says that um, that all of God's word, this is a paraphrase, all of God's word is profitable. Right? All of it is profitable. But especially if you're new to reading, or if you're challenging yourself to read in English, and English isn't your first language. Okay, I suggest reading in the book of John or Psalms. Those are two good places to start. Some of the chapters in the book of uh, John can be long, so cut it in half if it's if it seems like it's if it's if it's uh, just too much. Do ten verses at a time if you're brand new to this. Okay, so where are you reading? All right, so go ahead and and, uh, and and write down. So then on that day, you would write down. I read, like, for example, John chapters 1, uh, chapter 1 from verses 1 through 10 or 1 through 15 or whatever. And that way you know. Okay, number two, pray before you begin. Ask God to speak to you through his word. 
This is how God speaks to us. We're asking him to speak to us. Not because he won't. This really kind of puts our heart in the right place. Right? It puts our heart in the right place. I'm expecting God to speak to me when I read his word. Okay? What does it mean for God to speak to you through his word? Somebody help me with this. There's one definition written up here on the slide. But how would you explain to somebody that God is speaking to you through his word? April? Right. So April's saying, and I'm repeating it for the recording, when you're reading it, it's almost as if like, wow, that speaks specifically to what I'm going through right now. That's how we know God is speaking to us. That's one thing that shows us that God's word is a living book. Right? What else? How can we say God is speaking to me through his word? Miss Eden. Mm-hmm. That is one of the most amazing things about reading the Bible. And that's one of the most amazing things about being a Christian is you can be going through something and in your daily reading, you, you just finished verses 1 through 10 and now you're reading verse 11 through 20. And that verse specifically speaks directly to your situation. It's, a, it's incredible. It gives you faith. It gives you uh, confidence, right? It gives you guidance. And of course, it connects you with God. You hear his voice. Okay, so I wrote down, this occurs when speak, talking specifically, ask God to speak to you through his word. How do we know God speaking to us through his word? This occurs when something stands out or grabs your attention. It speaks to you deeply. It speaks to you deeply. You're reading through the book of Psalms and it's talking about fears. And uh, David's talking about his fears about this and his fears about that. And I'm crying out to God and you're thinking, man, I've been so afraid about this situation in my life or that situation in my life. And I can see from these couple of verses that David cried out to God. He prayed to God and God calmed his fears, right? That's God that speaks to us and we know it very, very deeply. Okay, next, read slowly, not ridiculously slow, but slowly. Read slowly. Well, I've got to get my, I've got to get my goal finished. It is better to slow down. It is better to slow down and read five verses than to read ten because you're supposed to read ten. Right? Okay? Read slowly. Try your best to understand what is being said. If you don't understand, sometimes you just need to back up a little bit. Okay? Why? Well, what, what is he talking about? All right, back up a couple of verses. You think, I still don't get it. Don't worry about it. How many of you guys have experienced this? Oh, for sure. All of us, yeah. Okay? Don't worry about it. Just keep reading. Nobody understands perfectly what the Bible is saying when you read it through, especially not the first time. Okay? Bible study is when you can kind of dig in and really figure out what's, what's being said. 
that's a whole nother topic. We're not talking about that. But don't get discouraged. Okay? Don't get discouraged. Next, write down whatever stands out. If the verse says something about fear, write it down. Sometimes you can just write out the verse that spoke to you. That's a good way to do it. Okay? But write down the verse or just write down the reference. John 1 verse 10. This spoke to me because I was et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? How does it apply to your life? What are you going through right now? It's a little bit like a journal, right? You don't necessarily have to completely get into all of your life and feelings and thoughts. You certainly can, right? It's your, it's your booklet. It's your um, daily walk with the Lord. All right? And then the last one is pray. So pray. God, thank you for using your word. Thank you for speaking to me. And then, of course, pray for the request that you have. Okay, any questions on that class? Any questions? We good? You say, I've done this before. Good. Just make it a challenge for the summer. Try not to miss a day. Honestly, try not to miss a day. You think, I'm never, this is never going to, you just don't know me. This is the hardest thing. Just try it once. We can all do that, right? Okay? And then the exciting part is going to be next week and weeks afterwards when God is speaking, has spoken to you through his word and you're starting to grow in this particular area. And we get to take a few minutes and share. Okay? All right? Good. Okay. So now let's take our Bibles and let's go to Philippians chapter number two. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2, if you have purchased the small book, praise the Lord. If you have not yet purchased it, uh, there was a donation that was made, and uh, now they're free. <laughs> so no refunds if you've already purchased it, right? No apologies for that. But um, if, you would like, if you would like one of the small little books, um, New Believer's Guide to Effective Christian Living, once again, the goal is for us to go through one chapter every two weeks. So I'm going to split it in half. If it's really long and really thick and deep, then we'll we'll take the appropriate time to go through it, maybe three, but the goal is two. So today will be a lesson, and then next week will be the third lesson on chapter one. So the first chapter, Jesus is my Savior. You are saved. That is a Bible term. We've not been saved from a burning house or a sinking ship. Okay, we all saw on the news a little bit of people that were hoping to be saved, right, with the submarine trying to over the Titanic, and of course they found them too late. Aren't you thankful spiritually that you were saved and it wasn't too late? Do you remember the day that you were saved? What a blessing. Okay, what were we saved from? Saved from what? To be saved means you were in a serious life-threatening situation. You were facing judgment and eternity in hell, but salvation bought for you by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place has saved you from judgment and from hell. Let's look at uh, Philippians 2 and verse number 
2.10 says, Philippians 2.10, by the way, you can use your notebook to take notes for this class if you would like to. It's your notebook. All right. Verse number 10, Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Okay, let's take a moment and we'll pray and then we'll get right into the material. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Please help us as we understand a bit more about salvation and how you have changed us from what we have used to be uh, before we were saved. And I pray, God, that you would give us light from your word in this topic. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. What have we been saved from? We've been saved from hell. The Bible says in Romans 5. And verse number 8 through 10, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. We shall be saved from wrath. Romans uh, 5, 9, that's what that verse says. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we've been saved from God's wrath on sin, okay? Um, and we were saved because we've accepted Christ as our Savior. Now, saved for what? Let's see if I can find my slide here. Saved for a purpose. Not only has Christ saved you from a future judgment, he is offering you abundant life. You don't need to live Day by day, as you were before you were saved, for every new day is filled with adventure for God. Everything you need in life is found in a relationship with God. Okay? And that's what we can see here from our verse in Philippians 2 and verse number 12. We'll dig into that in just a moment. But if we flip over to Colossians 2, this is very close by, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What's the Godhead? Pop quiz. The Trinity. What's the Trinity? <laughs> the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay? So we don't actually, do we, do we, another pop quiz. Do we find the word Trinity? In the Bible, do we find the doctrine or the truth of the Trinity in the Bible? Yes, we do. Okay. Uh, and so if you encounter somebody, some denominations of so-called Christianity, some of them do not believe in the Trinity. Okay. That is a false teaching. Okay. How do, why do we believe in the Trinity? Well, because it's throughout the Bible. They say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. There's a lot of words that we may use that aren't necessarily found in the Bible. But the truth 
of the Trinity is found in the Bible. And one of the words that the Bible uses instead of Trinity is the Godhead, which is in verse number 9, Colossians 2 and 9. So Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, spiritually complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Everything you need in life is found in a relationship with God. However, it can be a common challenge that many new and sometimes older believers can struggle with doubts about their salvation. Have you ever doubted your salvation? Okay, now maybe some people say, I have never. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, and some people get really confused because they say, well, I heard a pastor say one time or a teacher say one time, if you're really and truly saved, you'll never doubt your salvation. You say, well, I've doubted my salvation, so maybe I'm not really saved. And then you you may hear it on the other side. Well, if you're truly saved, then occasionally you may experience doubts. It's like, well, how about we go to the Bible? How about we see what God's word tells us? about doubts. Okay? The first verse that I'd like for us to go to is 1 John 5, 13. 1 John 5 and 13. And this is, there are many, many verses that say the same thing uh, in various ways. This is a fantastic verse when we're talking about assurance of salvation because so many of the truths that we need are contained just in this one verse. Okay? First John 5.13, some of you may be able to quote this, which is amazing. These things have I written unto you. Now let's go through this a little slowly so we understand what we're saying. First John 5.13, are we there? Are we good? Okay. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Question, who is he writing to? Saved or unsaved, according to this verse? Saved. He's writing unto those that have believed on the name of the Son of God. Right? Is that what we're seeing? Class? Okay, good. Some of you have not had your coffee yet. I get it. Or maybe it's in your tummy, but it hasn't hit your brain yet. I, I get that too. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. It sounds like to me that some of the people that the Apostle John was writing to were struggling with doubts. And that's why he said, these things are written that you can know that you have eternal life. He's not writing to people that are unbelievers. He's writing to those who have already believed on the name of the Son of God. And he's saying, I'm writing these things so that you as believers can really be completely confident that you have eternal life. Is that what it's saying? That's what it's saying. <laughs> You say, well, I've experienced doubts. So were they. That's why God has given us his word. That's one of the reasons why God has given us his word. 
Okay, so as it says on our slide here, assurance of salvation. What do we mean when we're saying assurance of salvation? What does that mean? Assurance of salvation. I have assurance of my salvation. Assurance, not insurance. You're sure that you're saved, right? Confident that we're saved. Are we okay? Are we good? All right, did I misspell any words up here? Sometimes I do that. No? Okay, praise the Lord. That was a good day for me. How many of you guys are tired out from being in the sun yesterday? Oh, my goodness. We have some droopy eyes going on, right? Okay, so notice, notice we're going to pick apart this verse. We'll give you a couple more. These things have I written. Where does the assurance come from? Does the assurance come from inside myself, by myself, in, in and of myself? No. Does it come from supernatural things that happen around me? Well, I know I'm saved because when I went to work, I saw a, an incredible message scrawled across. I, I'll never forget one time. This is years and years ago. Somebody found a piece of toast. Some of you guys remember this. You guys remember this? Somebody found, I think it was in New York City, which all kinds of fun things happen in New York City. Found a piece of toast. You guys remember what was on it? Very, according to them, if you look at it kind of with one eye and a little bit sideways. Right? And in the Catholic tradition, these types of supernatural things is evidence of God is with us or that type of thing. Right? Mary on toast. I'm not kidding. We can Google it. I should have I should have found the photo and put it up. Okay. I know I'm saved because this morning when I was making toast. And I pulled it out of the toaster. Oh my god. Oh my god. We don't do that. Right? Mary does not give us assurance of salvation. Jesus does through his word. These things have I written. Okay. Assurance is not based on my feelings. Does God's word change from day to day? It does not. Does God's word change from day to day? No. Okay. Do my feelings change from day to day? Based on what? Oh, my goodness, we could just go on and on and make a huge list based on some crazy show I watched on Netflix or based on some awful cuisine I tried that I shouldn't have or based off of some terrible news or based on reading the headlines at the wrong time of day or inadvertently looking at my emails too late at night and, blah, 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 and then you wake up and like, ah, right? You guys understand all that, right? Huh? Or you get bad news from somebody. Or your boyfriend, girlfriend breaks up with you. Or somebody says some thing on the news about, well, I prayed to God and he didn't answer, so I don't believe there's a God anymore. You think, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So many things. We don't base our faith off of our feelings. I don't know if I'm saved. What does God's word say? Okay. It is based on God's word. It is biblical to base your assurance 
on what is written. Why am I going to read my Bible every day? Do you want assurance of your salvation or not? Here's a question. Can you be, can you be genuinely saved? Confident that you're saved. And then if you start drifting away from the Lord and not reading your Bible, not going to church, not worshiping the Lord, can you get to the place where you're not sure that you're saved? Is that possible? It's absolutely possible. Confidence comes from God's word. No, uh, the emphasis is not on hoping that you have eternal life. If you died today, are you sure that you're going to heaven? I hope so. That's not a good answer. Bible hope is different. Bible hope is confident and sure when it's talking about Christ is our hope, right? That's different. In our vernacular, when we say, I hope so, it means kind of like, not sure. I'm trying to be positive about my doubt. I'm trying to, no, 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 no. Again, look at the verse with me. Look at 1 John 5 and 13. You can also use this verse if you are talking to someone about Christ. Okay? Well, I just don't think it's possible for you to know for sure that you're going to heaven. This verse says you can know for sure. Okay? You can know as the Christian, and you can also help other people come to that knowledge as well. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. To bring you to a reasonable hope. That's not what it says. To make you feel as if you're going to heaven. No. Okay? Uh, amusement parks all over the world have these uh, giant screens and 3D glasses, and you're on this, these, these row of seats that move, and they even have water that spit at you. To make you feel as if you're on a big boat or as you're on a spaceship or you're on a, right? Is it really happening? No, it's just a ride. Look, God is not trying to put you on a ride. He's trying to put you into spiritual reality in that you know for sure that you're saved. Where does that confidence come from, my friends? It comes from God's word. It doesn't come from the pastor. I'm not coming to your house. I'm going to shoot him a, shoot him a text and I'm just not sure I'm saved again. All, look, all, all any Christian can ever do is point you to the word of God. Confidence doesn't come from other Christians. It doesn't come from your, from your Christian leaders. It comes from God's word. You have been given the certainty of a new life, but that may mean that some change, that might mean some changes from how you used to live. You're definitely saved. You have assurance of your salvation. And God has given you power to live a new life. God wants to give you a complete and abundant life. But like light and darkness, God and sin will not coexist. You cannot continue in your old sinful ways and be pleasing to God. Your sin nature still exists and you will sin at times, but your desires and attitudes Need to change. Once again, let's go back to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12 with me, please. Philippians 2 and 12. It's describing the new birth here. 
The Apostle Paul is speaking to Philippians. He's describing how Jesus Christ came and humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. God has highly exalted him, right? He's going through all of that. And then he says in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. They had a testimony of obedience. They were genuinely saved, and they had a, a, a story, a lifestyle of obeying Christ, obeying his word. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul said, you have obeyed when I was there. Obeying Christ. There is something strange about someone who claims to be a Christian and doesn't want to act like a Christian around other Christians. That's weird. That's not normal. Okay? So that's that's the first thing. And then he says, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, meaning the salvation that's inside of you, allow it to work itself out. We accept Christ when we accept him in our heart. It's not a, 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 a religious thing that we put on on Sundays. It's something that comes from the inside of us. It's a very part of who we are. It's not something you have to force and pretend. It's something that wants to grow out. Now, there is the flesh side, the negative side that wants to squelch it. But one of the ways that we know that we are genuinely saved is because there is something inside that wants to come out and wants to, oh, listen, wants to obey Jesus when nobody is around to watch. That's what it's saying. Not in my presence only, but also in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, meaning the salvation wants to, it wants to grow out, which is the definition of grace. The divine influence upon a heart in its reflection in a life. Genuine salvation results in genuine change. Genuine salvation results in genuine change. We cannot compare one to another. Sometimes the growth rate is different for many reasons. Some people have a lot more issues in their past. Some people don't connect with the Bible right away. Some people don't connect with the local church right away. Some people have a lot more things. Uh, they have a lot more friends and family and lifestyle and maybe even physical addictions that they're dealing with. But there's something inside that is begging to come out. It's not because somebody is stomping on your head. A mom or a dad or an uncle or a pastor or a Christian friend. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Those type of people, look, some people are not genuinely saved. But they've got somebody in their life that is poking them and getting them to move. And it's like, well, from some appearances, it looks like they're saved. But there's nothing inside. There's nothing inside that's wanting to grow out. Growing in grace means the Holy Spirit inside of me wants to do right, is influencing my mind, influencing my choices, influencing my feelings. It wants to. It's not an outside pressure. By the way, this is the biggest difference between 
grace salvation because it grows from the inside. It's organic in that way. Not organic. That's not the right word, but you understand what I mean. Versus these other forms of religion where you have to work to go to heaven. You have to be baptized. You have to do good and you have to do this and you have to do that. Why do they do all of these things? Because they're scared that if they don't work so hard, they're not going to get to go to heaven. And, 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 and these types of religions, it's, it's all based on fear. It's all based on fear. That's why I give the money and that's why I go and that's why I do and that's why I, that, that's why I have the, 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 the things in my car and the, and, and the rosaries and the, and the idols and the statues and that's why I, you know, do the, do the motions, whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be a form of Christianity. It can be anything. I'm terrified that if I don't follow all of these rules, I'm not going to go to heaven. I'm not going to be forgiven. It's all pressure from the outside, but there's nothing inside. There's no life inside. When you're saved by grace, the Holy Spirit resides in your heart. He comes to live inside you. He begins to influence the way that you think. Many of you have testimonies, and you could share. And I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I was going to go and do something that I used to do before. And I, I didn't feel bad about it before, whether it was smoking or drinking alcohol or, or watching that type of uh, entertainment or whatever it may be, or go with those types of friends or or go to that type of establishment and go to a club or go to this and go to that or, or whatever. And it's just like, you know what? Something inside of me is just really uncomfortable with that now. That's grace, my friend. Some people cannot wait to get away from church people. Church people. I can't wait to get out of church. I can't wait to get away from mom and dad. I can't wait to get away from this and that or another. And what do they do when, they, when they're away? Fulfill the lust of the flesh, whatever that may, be, that may be. It's a great adventure for them to try everything. These types of testimonies where these kids have grown up in church, and as soon as they graduate, they run off and they just go live like hell itself. There's nothing inside. There's no conscience telling them wrong. They look back on church with anger. They blame every bad thing in their life on church. That person ain't saved. You, you, you cannot convince me that person is saved. The prodigal son knew he was a son. He knew he was a son the whole time he was doing that. And when he hit rock bottom, he said, I will arise and go to my father. He was a son. He'd been born into that family. And somebody who can just go out and live however they want, Live like, live like the world. Experiment with everything that the world has to offer. There's nothing inside telling them. There's no grace in there. They're not saved. The Bible's very clear that when Christ lives in you, you are a different person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creature. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. As a new believer, as a new believer, there simply must be changes in your life. Some people think that because they have prayed to receive Christ, they can pretty much live as they please. 
They think they have taken care of heaven so they can, quote, live like hell. Some try to straddle these two worlds, but that just doesn't work. How do you know if you have truly become a Christian? What's going on in your heart? What do other people see in your attitudes and actions? God sees your heart, but people around you see how you're acting and if you're changing. James 2, we've used this verse several times the last couple of weeks. James 2, Hebrews, James, towards the back of your Bible. James 2, verse 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say, notice the words, say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? You say, well, the Bible says that we're saved by faith. This is describing that genuine faith results in a change of action. That's what it's saying. Verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Verse 19, thou believest that there is one God? You believe in God? Great. What does it say? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know, the demons of hell have more respect for God. They're ter- they know, they've seen him. They're terrified of him. They tremble at him. You have some people out there living like the devil. Say, oh, I believe in God. It has no effect on them. The Bible is saying that biblical, genuine faith in Christ for salvation will have a discernible, visible effect on your life. The rate of growth may differ from person to person, but for somebody to say, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and over time, There is no difference in their life, none whatsoever. That's not real faith in Christ. We need to examine whether or not we're truly saved. Your faith must result in a changed life. We'll finish with Jesus' words, Matthew 7.21. Matthew 7.21. The Bible says in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? He's being he's he's picking the people he likes. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying that. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? 
and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Notice once again, look at verse 23. He's saying they're not coming into the kingdom of heaven. They're not going to heaven. That's what he's saying. Then he said, I never knew you. They didn't lose their salvation because they messed up. That's not biblical. It was somebody that professed with their mouth, but it never was in their heart. They never trusted Christ in their heart. They said the right things visibly, and they were even followed some degree of religion, according to this verse, according to Jesus. They looked religious, but they never trusted Christ as their Savior. They were trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their own good works. Well, I'm doing good things. I'm doing Christian things. I'm going to heaven. I'll be accepted because I'm doing good things. The Bible says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. Right? Titus 3.5. And so these types of lessons are certainly not meant in any way to cause anyone to doubt their salvation. If you're genuinely saved, a kind of lesson like this will actually give you more assurance, give you more confidence, right? Next week, of course, let me just point this out as well. It says, Jesus said, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. What is the will of the father? What is God's desire that we do? The Bible says in Second Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's that word once again, that change of mind based off of understanding God's word. What is God's will? That we trust Christ as our Savior. Okay, next week we will cover the six points of a spiritual checkup. A spiritual checkup. Uh, These are evidences of salvation. Not proof, but evidence. Okay? All right, let's pray, and we'll break down the tables and get ready for the next service.